Hello and welcome to episode 384 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. We are back for part two of a micro look, a play the best plays look with Michael Leone, our director of analytics, our translucent director of analytics. Michael, how's it going? Good. You know, trying to trying to get a little bit of sun here and there, but not too much. Good. We don't want you to get burned. Can't have that. On today's show, we're going to do what we did in part one, except we're going to run through some more players and different players. We're talking rankings. We're talking micro strategy. We're not going to talk overall construction. We've There's so many articles up on the site about that. We've talked about that plenty. You can follow Leone's podcast, Establish the Edge, if you want to get into more deep virginity talk about structural edges. We are here to talk about players and where they should be ranked. Before we get into it here with part two, I want to remind everyone this show is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy. I'm still in shock over how popular and big this Best Ball Mania tournament is. $25 buy-in, $2 million to first. Absolutely outrageous. Use promo code ETR when you sign up for a $100 matching deposit bonus. And if you buy our DraftKit Pro, $10 for free, whether you have an Underdog account or not, will be added into your Underdog account by the end of June. Also, starting Monday, starting next Monday, I am going to be doing a podcast on here weekly called Market Mondays, where I talk about guys who have had the biggest ADP moves in the previous seven days and what I think about them. Leone and I will be working together on that. Look for that next Monday. All right, Leone, part two. Let's start with the Chiefs wide receivers here from BS. BS says, why is MVS the lowest out of the three Chiefs wide receivers? We have Juju around 48th, Sky Moore around 94th, MVS 114th, and then back to Hardman at 133. BS wants to know why MVS is lowest of the three. Now, the bull case for, for MVS is very clear. I mean, uh, MVS can do some of the things Tyreek Hill did, a poverty-stricken Tyreek Hill can do. He can go very deep. He He's very fast. They gave him a huge contract, a bigger contract than they gave anyone else. He's allegedly been uh, working very well with Patrick Mahomes at OTAs for whatever that is worth. The bear case on MVS is he had these chances with, with Aaron Rodgers and was like, very rarely able to produce. Why, though, MVS, Leone, so far behind Juju and be, and behind Skymore? Yeah, I mean, at ADP, he might be the safest pick of the bunch, but what we're concerned about is the ceiling that he can achieve. And sometimes there's players like him, particularly some of these field stretchers, I think have a lot more real-life value than they might have fantasy value. And it's mm -hmm. because... They cause a lot of pressure on the defense. They open up the offense quite a bit, but they're not target earners. And I'm just really concerned, you know, is there a scenario if guys get hurt in front of him or anything where MBS is a 20% target share guy? And we don't think so. So that's our concern with MBS. We think it'll be really solid. I think he'll have some big spike weeks on big plays, but just don't see him earning, you know, the requisite amount of targets versus Juju Smith-Schuster, He's going to be running routes. I, th I think as long as he's healthy, and there's definitely some question marks with Juju, but he should be running routes all game long. And even if his targets per route run is just mediocre and okay, he should earn a high teens target share. And he's someone that could potentially earn a 25% target share. And if you have that in your range of outcomes, playing on this KC offense with Patrick Mahomes, that gives you a huge ceiling. Sky Moore is sort of right in the middle. He's a prospect that we liked a lot. A lot of sharp people were on. He's an early declare three-year 
wide receiver breakout from a smaller school. We don't see a ton of those in the NFL and he had the draft capital. So those are all really good signs that he's, you know, a legitimately good wide receiver. So kind of have him slotted in between where there's some more uncertainty as far as what role he's going to earn out of the gate, but do think there's a ceiling that he potentially can hit on his talent. The MVS can't. Yeah. I, and I'm totally on board with the, with those takes. I, I, you know, earning targets is a skill. MVS has not shown an ability to earn targets at a high rate where at least Juju had, we've seen it in his career for sure. Sky Moore, you know, I know a lot of people like Sky Moore and maybe Sky Moore ended up being good. So many teams that needed wide receivers like passed on Sky Moore in the draft, which may not end up meaning much because he's playing with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that will make a big, big, big difference. But yeah, I, I kind of like where we have all three of these guys right now. Let's go to Nelly Biz. Nelly Biz says we're too low on Allen Robinson. And this one, I, I kind of think Nelly Biz has a case, but I know we've looked at this and we looked at this closely. We have Allen Robinson 64th overall. That's 18 spots behind uh, ADP. My big thing on Allen Robinson is, is are you willing to throw out last year as just like completely wipe it off the slate? It never happened. He wasn't healthy. The, the offense was a total disaster. It was never going to win anyways. Yeah, he got out produced by Darnell Mooney, but he was like pouting the whole time. He didn't want to be there. Can you throw that out? Because if you completely throw that out, I do like Allen Robinson playing with so clearly best quarterback of his career in the Rams. They're going to score a lot of points. Allen Robinson is going to be a red zone threat, but we're way below on Allen Robinson. So talk to Nelly Biz, Leone. Yeah. Um, I mean, the bull case is definitely that, la like you said, last year's a wash, improved efficiency with the quarterback play. And then, you know, if something happens to Cooper Cup, does he just completely kind of break the year and become a league winner? I am concerned from like a base perspective, though, that you know we still have to factor in last year a little bit, especially as a wide receiver starts to age some. I mean, he's going to enter his age 29 season, so he's not he's not old. He's not young. He's kind of in that in-between Amari Cooper type range right now. And um, I mean, Cooper Cup just takes such a huge amount of target share from that team. I expect that to continue on an offense that, you know, they're not that pass happy, especially because they're a pretty good team. And a lot of that's game script dependent. That can be chaotic. Maybe they're not as strong of a team this year, but you know, fully expect them to be one of the better teams in the NFC. And you start trickling down that volume and I'm just not sure it's there. Like you, I think you have to be pr pretty confident to take Allen Robinson in round five or so where he's going that last year's a wash. It's not yeah. just, a range of outcome thing like you have to almost fully assume that where he's going right now we're not quite there okay one other rams question from duke he wants to know about cam Akers ranking he says cam Akers should be one of the few three down backs left in the league my take on cam Akers was like he could be a dead zone example in other words he's ranked where he is we have him 39th overall which is in line with adp he, he could just be there because of projectable volume projectable carries i mean I, i'm not sure that cam Akers is going to be efficient at all and i'm not sure that cam Akers is going to hold on to that volume all year so my instinct is actually to be lower than adp on cam Akers, but we're right in line what do you think about all that with Akers? yeah i'll be honest i don't have a great feel on Akers. i see arguments both ways when we started the offseason we were a bit higher on him than we are now i actually thought he was going to be a decent value um but then some of the concerns you noted we took into account kind of have him right in line with ADP. The bull case is that we've seen McVay seems like he wants a lead back to lean on. Uh, even with acres being rushed back from his Achilles in the playoffs, he wanted it to be acres. 
you know, whether it was the offensive line, Akers not being ready, it didn't happen. It was a disaster. And we saw in the Super Bowl, the most valuable back for the Rams when they could, because they couldn't run the football was Daryl Henderson who could catch the football. So the more I think about it, I am concerned that Henderson keeps that pass catching role. And now you're not looking at a three down back with Cam Akers. You're looking at a two down back that is going to be very reliant on efficiency and keeping that stranglehold on the rush share. So I, again, I think there's a wide range of outcomes on Acres. If you want to take him a little bit earlier, I understand that. If you want to completely avoid him, I understand it too. He's someone that I don't have a great feel on right now on this Rams offense. Yeah, I, I think I'm going wide receiver or or probably Josh wide receiver. Allen. Or not Josh Allen, but yeah. <laughs> not, not quite. Well, I mean, if he gets the 39th overall and maybe, but I, I, I don't think I would. I think I'd be trying to go wide receiver over Cam Akers. Um Next one from Dom. He wants us to talk about Cole Komet. He says, more targets up for grab this year, and Cole Komet had no TDs last year. Positive regression coming. I mean, the scheme can't be worse. Justin Fields can't be really much worse. Cole Komet, we have him around tight end 14. His ADP is a little bit higher around tight end 13. I mean, it's just hard for me to find a ceiling on a tight end in this Bears offense. Like, I would not want to go into a managed league with Cole Komet as my starting tight end is guess, I guess what I'm trying to say. What do you think about Cole Komet this year? Yeah, he's someone I, I've like quadruple checked this projection because I get where people are coming from. It looks low uh, when you just look at the potential for targets for him. But I mean, we've got him with 17 to 18% target share in base, which is very high for a tight end. I understand he did that and even more at stretches last year, but for a base projection, that's a high number to clear for a tight end. Uh, we've got him with a decent sort of ceiling case. Like, again, it just circles back to what you said. This offense doesn't really look like it's going to support a really high ceiling tight end one. And maybe I'm undervaluing the potential of a new coaching staff and Justin Fields to take a leap. And this offense is a lot more exciting than we're projecting. But as it stands right now, I think he's just going to be okay. And you reach this range of tight ends where the floors on all the tight ends are bad and mm -hmm. they're risky that I would just rather, you know, wait a little bit. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to take Komet um, over like Albert O or someone that has, you know, a truly meaningful ceiling if things break right, even though the volume's not as certain to start the year. Oh yeah. I think Irv Smith over Komet for me, oh, I would probably... I would probably go and I, and I would, we have Fryermuth ahead of Komet, which I agree with too. And so, yeah, there's definitely some options there if you're punting it off at tight end. Ideally, I wouldn't let it get that far, but yeah. Um, let's go to some Tampa stuff. So two-part question here. Uh, your mom thinks that we're too low on Russell Gage. Uh, he says, uh, Tampa Bay's offense can support three wide receivers and Godwin is likely to miss time. Russell Gage is ranked below Garrett Wilson and Sky Moore, which is absurd you can make a case that Russell Gage should be ranked above Tyler Lockett as well. And then a follow-up question, Colin says, why are we so bullish on Chris Godwin when the injury should shelve him for the first four to six, possibly eight weeks? So we, we have Russell Gage around 98th overall right now. I, I think that's in line with ADP. Chris Godwin, we have around 53rd. I, I think, you know, format is going to make a difference on the Godwin stuff. We expect Chris Godwin back sometime in October. And, and I guess that's the best case scenario, maybe for him to be 100% come October, but yeah, obviously these injury things are tough. What do you think about how we have Gage and Godwin? 
Yeah, so we're expecting Godwin to miss about the nine months from his surgery date, which is early January. That puts him early October. So missing that four to six weeks range, um, hopefully closer to four. I think he's a wide receiver that if he wasn't hurt, would be going in round two this year, the way the landscape is. Like, I think he would be going that early. I mean, that's where Mike Evans has started to go in round two. And I think Godwin when they're both healthy is the guy I'd slightly prefer over Mike Evans. So I think this ceiling's huge. Whenever you're taking someone like Godwin, you have to be cognizant of the structure of your team that you can survive those first handful of weeks. So if you're taking nine wide receivers in best ball and eight of them are guys that have pretty clear roles and whatnot, you're going to be fine, you know, for four weeks without Chris Godwin. In fact, he's going to come back and start to get healthier when bye weeks start happening to other wide receivers, when they start getting hurt and it might even line up well. Um, But Mm -hmm. if you're in a redraft league and you've taken two running backs early, you can't really take Chris Godwin. You just get smoked at wide receiver in the flex spot is going to hurt you. So you gotta be really aware of how you're building your team Um, with Russell Gage. I think he's just fine. You know, we have him base target share of 16% him seeing a hundred target season which is pretty good. We do have his efficiency buoyed by switching teams from Atlanta to Tampa Bay and playing with Tom Brady and how good they've been. Um, I'm not sure what the huge ceiling case is on Russell Gage, you know, maybe like a 20% target share and he should be solid. He should be completely fine. I don't have anything really bad to say about him. I just think, you know, ultimately there's three other targets in the passing game on Tampa Bay. I'd rather have before Russell Gage and that's Evans Godwin and Gronk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I was impressed last year by what I perceived to be a step forward in like ability and talent from mm-hmm. Russell Gage. Like he actually seemed to get better at going vertical. I mean, he had some huge games and just a, just an absolutely putrid offense there in Atlanta. And now he has Tom Brady saying, Hey, listen, we have to get a huge year out of Russell Gage because we're going to throw it so, so, so much. We're not going to have Chris Godwin for a while. Antonio Brown is gone. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for for Russell Gage. I, I agree with you. He's not like some superstar. I mean, he's six foot, 184 pounds. He was a former six-round pick, but he's only 26. I mean, you know, I, I think Russell Gage can catch five to seven balls a game, and that's pretty valuable. The ceiling yeah. case, I guess, on the guys that your mom mentioned, Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Tyler Lockett, uh, is better, but I, 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 you know, I don't think it's that crazy to think that Russell Gage can have a really good base season and have a kind of usable weeks for you. So I'll just put that out. Yeah. There. Um, oh, one more Tampa question from Sean Nesty. He says, why do we have Rashad white so high? So yeah, we're about 20 spots ahead of ADP on Rashad white, have him around 89th overall. I mean, he's around three rookie. Um, they still have Gio Bernard. They still have Keyshawn Vaughn. I think there's a lot of negative talk around Lenny Fournette right now. Cause he, got like a fat picture or whatever and he's 29 years old and he's a running back i get that i feel like lenny didn't have as much wear and tear on him as maybe some other running backs who are 29 years old but he did touch the ball a ton in college so maybe that's a bad take but yeah what do you think about being high on rashad white yeah uh we might switch some more to lenny we'll kind of see how the offseason plays out but he is someone that we think could wrestle away some of the targets from leonard for in obvious passing situations and it didn't seem like Gio was really able to do that at much at all last season, yeah. except you know maybe in that playoff game when it was down to him and Keyshawn Vaughn. So not really worried about Gio. And I mean, it's just a spot where I think you've got a pretty good idea at a 
clear handcuff that could completely be a league winner if Fernat were to get injured. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm looking like where we have, you know, like Alexander Madison and whatnot. And we've got White, uh, well, RB34. RB34 is probably a little bit rich. Um, it comes down to whether or not you think he has some base role, but we just yeah. think the ceiling is so massive. And it's been harder, I think, to find handcuffs with that true, truly elite ceiling, just the way teams are operating nowadays with multiple backs and whatnot. And White is someone with you could think could do that. Yeah, I mean, to Leone's point, last year, Leonard Fournette was the base back. And the, when he was healthy, he was the, the true three-down plus goal line back on a team that throws so much and is in the red zone so, so much. I mean, his role was absolutely absurd. If you think White siphons off some of that, yeah, I, I can make a case that our ranking is fine. I think if you think Lenny like survives, yeah, it's it's going to be too rich. I mean, like Keyshawn Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard scored 40 fantasy points in that game yeah. without Leonard Fournette in the playoffs. And then Fournette comes back the next week and scores 30. And so, I mean, the high value touches in this backfield right. are absurd compared to any other team that it's kind of wanting to take shots. I do think RB34, you know, maybe we'll knock him down. There's a little bit of wish casting there that there might be some base role that it is probably a little bit more optimistic than it is in reality, but do think he should be inside the top 40 backs because the pure upside is just better than a lot of these guys. And a lot of the times that you're drafting at that point, that's what you should be most focused on. All right, let's go to Bolt's chief. Bolt's chief says DK Metcalf is too low. He has a chance for massive volume and talent has a history of overcoming bad quarterback play. Lockett and Fant will get theirs, but uh, DK Metcalf's profiles is more compatible with Gino, Locke, Baker, Jimmy G, or whoever. Uh, so Metcalf, we're like eight or nine spots behind ADP. We have him 52nd overall. I think that's largely due to quarterback play. But what do you think about Bolt's Chiefs' point that, hey, good talent overcomes uh, bad quarterback play at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I mean, he's someone who struggled to out-target Tyler Lockett two seasons in a row. Bible so, narrative, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and people talk about how he's a better fit with Geno Smith that Metcalf is. And the numbers actually show Tyler Lockett was targeted much more frequently uh, with Geno Smith than DK Metcalf was. So I think that's just being more hopeful than it is in reality. I do like betting on talent, but the gap between these two receivers is massive. At one point, it was like a 26 wide receiver gap. I think it's tightened up a little bit, mostly because uh, – Metcalf has fallen in ADP more so than Lockett's risen, which is probably accurate. But I'm really worried about this offense. Uh, I understand the bet on talent, but this is an offense that we have running four more plays per game than last year, Adam. And that still puts them dead last in our projections by a full play per game. And this is now you've got a huge quarterback downgrade, absolute boomer coach. They're going to want to run the ball. They're not going to be good. I, I mean, I very rarely say situations are stayaways, but I'm pretty concerned, with, you know, with this one. I, I don't even really want to draft Lockett, but at wide receiver 40, I feel like you almost have to consider Lockett because the base target share is so high. But I, I don't know. I, I'm worried about Seattle. Well, a lot of times with these really bad teams, you can start to project higher throw rates because they're going to be trailing so much. But I feel like even when Pete Carroll and this team gets by, behind by 20, they still don't. They're still not going to be aggressive throwing the ball. And still not going to be aggressive throwing the ball downfield. So it's like you don't even get that aspect of it. So, yeah. Yeah, Pete, Pete's not going to deal with Drew Locke throwing, you know, balls into double coverage the whole second half, right. no matter what the score is. 
go to a question from DKB. He says, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on David Montgomery. He's going like two rounds earlier on DraftKings and drafters compared to underdog, and I don't know what to make of it. So we're kind of in line with uh, market on David Montgomery around 40 overall or so. You know, I, I don't really have a strong take on David Montgomery. His role is obviously very good. He's feasted uh, in really good matchups, and he's been kind of like a, a DFS cash play, quite frankly, when he's been priced right and in the right matchup. I do, you know, DKB makes the point about uh, DraftKings and drafters compared to Underdog. Underdog is going to be way, way, way more wide receiver heavy uh, for whatever reason. And also Underdog is going to be, I think, a little bit tougher rooms than DraftKings and drafters in places like that. But yeah, what do you think about where we have David Montgomery? Yeah, there's backs like him and Josh Jacobs where I think on DraftKings, drafters, you know, full PPR sites, when they're going as aggressive as, you know, the questioner said, I think they're pretty easy fades in the dead zone there where wide receiver or different backs going to be a better option. Uh, an underdog where it's half PPR, and it's not that these guys, you know, won't catch the ball at all, but relative to the wide receiver value, it helps the running back value to be half PPR where they're going in rounds five, six. I'm, I feel like I don't have a strong take. It just seems completely neutral there where, mm-hmm you're taking on some risk because they're prototypical dead zone backs, but it's late enough in the dead zone that these guys in previous years, I think would be going where they're going on DraftKings and drafters in round four or so that, I mean, I'm hard pressed to tell someone that they're bad picks in round six. They just seem neutral to me. Yeah. Okay. Let's hit on another run. We had a question from Michael. He says, what's the Saquon Barkley ceiling this year? And we've been talking about Saquon Barkley, you know, um, 17th overall, I think, is where we have him right now. His his ADP is certainly climbing. I know that he could get him in the third round at one point, and now I think he's going in the second round. I mean, he's getting, I think, the biggest scheme and coaching upgrade in the entire league, going from these absolute stone-cold donkeys that the Giants had to Brian Dable. I also think that in today's NFL, like Saquon Barkley's skill set, I mean, so good in the pass game as a receiver and the goal back and like the base back. And he's now will be another full year removed from the ACL tear. You can make a case that that may have limited him a bit last year. So there's like a lot going for Saquon Barkley this year. The archetype of a player who can actually finish legitimately as the best player in all of fantasy. Like Saquon Barkley is the archetype of that. Whether he can hit that, I I don't know anymore because his efficiency has been so, so, so bad. But yeah, I mean, I like being aggressive on him, man. Like I have no problem with Saquon Barkley in round two. What do you think about where we have him? Yeah, I mean, I was aggressive on him. I did a podcast with Sean Siegel, who uh, I, you know, from Rotoviz, who I think is really sharp. He's in on, on Barkley. That gave me even more confidence that I think two, three turn, he's a smash. I think anywhere in round two, honestly, he's a pretty good play. I think in redraft, I could see doing some hero RB builds around Barkley. It, it comes down to how nervous and risk averse you are because of injuries the last couple of seasons. And one, if you think he's more injury prone than other players because of that. And two, if you think that he will never be his old self because of that. And it certainly makes sense to layer in some of that risk. But man, Adam, if you if you take those injuries away and you're just looking at situation and perceived talent for Barkley, mm-hmm. I mean, he's the top three pick, top five pick. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, that's if you're willing to have some blinders on with the injury stuff, that's where he would be going. So, uh, and, and then you throw in the coaching staff change 
And I'm really optimistic that at the very least, it's going to be better. How much better? I don't know. I think it could be a lot better, but even if it's a little bit better, um, you know, if Barkley stays healthy, he's going to be a smash this year. Yep. Okay. Next question is from Greg. Greg is actually uh, my tennis coach. Shout out to Greg. Doing a great job getting me ready for my matches. Uh, Greg says, why isn't Amari Cooper higher, even if he's stuck with Jacoby Brissett? So uh, we have Amari Cooper 54th overall. We're like five spots behind ADP on Amari Cooper. At this point, man, I I don't even know what to think about the Deshaun Watson stuff anymore. I think it's greater than 50% that he misses the entire year. Uh, The NFL tries to throw the book at him, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Baker Mayfield is going to be gone. So like, I think that the ranking with Jacoby Brissett is fine. It's the ranking that was going to look bad if Deshaun Watson ends up playing. So how are you thinking about Amari Cooper right now? Yeah. I mean, his efficiency has fallen off the last two seasons from what it was when he first was in Dallas, those first year and a half in Dallas, when it was really, really strong. Um, It feels like he's been around forever. He's not an old wide receiver. It's only his age 28 season, so He's not old, but when you do see that efficiency drop off and now you've got a team switch from a pretty favorable environment to what could be a very suboptimal environment, especially with the team play calling, they could be running the football so much if it's Jacoby Brissett at the helm for the majority of the season um, that even if the target share is strong for Amari Cooper, like it's, it's gonna be tough for him to hit a really high ceiling. I'd much rather take a shot at David Bell to, you know, lower ADP, by a ton someone who's gonna be a shorter ADOC guy and I think like he could really surprise and he might fit in better if the offense is forced and you know hand handcuffed to to operate a certain way without Deshaun Watson okay last one to hit on is a question from George he says I'd be interested to hear about the process for ranking free agent wide receivers Julio Jones Odell Beckham Will Fuller, I know this is something that we've struggled with. It's certainly hard. I mean, not only do we do we not know where these guys will play, we don't know if they'll play. I mean, I haven't heard any updates on Will Fuller, who basically missed like the entire season with some like weird finger thing last year. We've been aggressive in moving these guys up because as soon as they sign, I mean, they're going to get massive ADP boosts. So if you think that they are going to sign, well, yeah, it makes sense to be aggressive on them. We're at 162 on Will Fuller. That's 41 spots ahead of ADP. We're at 166 on Julio Jones. That's 72 spots ahead. The one we were actually behind on is Odell, not as much. We have him 201st overall. That's behind ADP. Odell, I think, is going to go back to the Rams, but he's not going to be ready until like November, December. And I mean, that's really late to try to work a guy back in and get him to be really productive. So yeah, maybe help out George here. How are we baking in all of the various things going on with guys like Julio, Will Fuller, Odell? Yeah, I mean, it's a really hard projection to make. You're just kind of taking a best stab at it. And these are guys that we're more kind of cognizant of where the ADP is and sort of just slotting them in where we want a little bit more so just because there's not a lot to work off of. But you look at what happened with Jarvis Landry, who we had ranked well ahead of ADP. We're behind ADP a decent bit on Landry now because the second he signed, he moved up three rounds. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting Julio and... Uh, Will Fuller for basically free. At, I mean, they're coming like rounds. You can get them in round 17. So I would draft them after our ranking, somewhere in between our ranking and ADP, but you can get them at you know round 16 to 18. Again, you want to be aware of the type of team you're drafting because if you draft too many of these guys, you have a lot of risk at the front of the season. Um, but if you don't have that risk at the front of the season, they make a ton of sense. Julio, he could sign anywhere. If he signs in the worst possible spot 
worst case is the ADP is unchanged. Uh, most likely it's going to move up a couple of rounds. I think Julio is much more likely. I don't see the tail risk of him not playing at all that I see with Will Fuller. Uh, but I also see less of a huge, huge win on Julio that I see with Will Fuller. And that's why we have them ranked pretty similarly where Julio is very likely to give you a couple rounds of ADP value up to you to determine how valuable that is for you. And then Will Fuller's the swing. You know, if he winds up in the right spot, he goes to green Bay or something like he's going in the first 10 rounds. If he goes to green Bay, I mean, that's huge, but there's some risk that he doesn't sign at all. Cause like you, I haven't heard too much what's going on. And it does seem like there's more of an unknown to the Will Fuller side of things. I mean, I think the NFL might think that Julio Jones is just done and and not worth whatever headache and and he can't really be an effective NFL starter anymore. Will Fuller can <laughs> I know we haven't seen him play in a long time, but man, he was absolutely shredding with Deshaun before that stupid head suspension. Um, you know, so yeah, like Leone said, I I don't know what's going on with Will Fuller. I'm actually now that you mentioned, I'm gonna do some digging here. Maybe I can find something out about Will Fuller for us. But yeah, I haven't seen anything and so weird that he sat out all of last year and why i mean green bay not signing him at this point is weird to me too so we'll see all right that's gonna do it for part two of this micro look at our rankings i like this much more than trying to grind out an extra one percent edge because you took a running back in round 13 instead of a running back in round 10 i gotta tell you i'm on team play the best plays i know a lot of you guys out there are as well hope you enjoyed this maybe we can circle back and do this again closer to the season if you guys have more questions about why we have guys ranked where they are ranked be sure you're following leone on twitter at two hats one mike be sure you subscribe to his podcast establish the edge and our youtube where you can find leone doing tiktok videos etc etc or leone for jerry for producer luke i am adam Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.